Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And as we begin this uh, journey through your story, may we connect with you in a way we didn't know possible. May we learn more about ourselves, more about our, uh, the people around us. May we learn more about the reasons we do things. And may it become more clear how we can follow your son. And ask this on your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> so we start this series that I've been talking about, um, and I called it Our Story. Um, and then the subtitle you might have saw on the sign is The Story of God's People. Um, now, one thing to say right, right away about this um, it's our story, the story of God's people, but it's the story of all people. And when I say it's the story of God's people, that simply means that until people decide that they're going to um, believe that this is actually the story of the world, and until they're going to decide to wrap their life around it and change their life, to be a part of God's story, it's not their story. And that's only because they're choosing to ignore their story to make their own. And we live in a culture that offers us lots of alternative stories. So this story that we're going to look at for the next couple months is one story of many. So the, the middle school and high schoolers among us up here are used to hearing stories about who they are. If they have Instagram, they see Instagram stories, right? There's also Facebook stories, which are just pictures. They know what they are. If you don't, that's okay, if you don't know. But these stories are glimpses into people's lives or they're glimpses into the lives they want you to see. So we are people that make stories that make us feel good. We uh, buy into a story of consumerism. We can buy our happiness. We buy into stories of, of um, I mean, there's a million stories. One story that's highly competing to the story we're going to talk about today is the story of uh, what we would call naturalism, um, which simply says that, that the entire world is natural and only natural, and there's no God, no, um, no uh, divine being who is created. And there is simply the natural systems of the world that science shows us about. So that's a story. And the people take these stories, whatever they are. Some people might put many stories together, which makes absolutely no sense. But most people today don't realize how inconsistent things could be. And they put these stories together, and then it becomes the way they see the world. So as Christians, we should only see the world through the story we're looking at today. It is, it is the, story, the, the story we're beginning today. It's the story that explains the world. And humans are the center of God's good creation. But we look at that, and we say, well, wait, is creation actually good? And maybe we ask, well, are humans good? And have we actually claimed our place at the center? And what does it mean to live in the center? Well, that's where the story begins. Humans are centered, center of God, are the center of God's creation. 
And if you notice today, we read Genesis chapter 2. Now, I think when we think about um, the story of creation, we tend to not look at Genesis 2. We tend to look at Genesis 1. That's the story that people talk about. That's the story people fight about. Now, I don't know how much you know about this, but there's lots of fights. Is it one day? Is it one day that's thousands of years? Is the earth very, very young because of the days that we have, and then we take the history in Genesis 4 through 11, we put all that together and the earth can only be this old. And, and there, there's, there's lots of fights about this. We don't ever look at Genesis 2. Now, we are going to look at Genesis 1 quickly, as quickly as possible, before we quickly look at Genesis 2. But before we look at either of these, it's important for us to understand that, remember, the Bible is an ancient document. So these stories are at least... Three to 4,000 years old. And we need to remember and understand that these are two stories of many ancient Near Eastern stories about the creation of the world. Now, the ancient Near East is simply the time period when Israel existed. Um, and the Near East is what is modern-day Middle East. So when we say the Middle East, that's ancient Near East. So that part of the world so Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Israel, Jordan, all the things around that, to western Turkey. This is the ancient Near East. Now in that world, that was where civilization really started. We see that there's lots and lots of these stories about creation. Now we have two of them, and these are the stories of creation according to the Israelite people. So what that tells us is, first of all, we cannot read these stories through our own lenses. Because they weren't written by us. They were maybe written for us, as in the sense that, that it's scripture for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to these ancient Israelite people 4,000 years ago. Now, these stories make a culture and they have common themes and common ideas. That it's scripture for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to these ancient Israelite people 4,000 years ago. Now, these stories make a culture and they have common themes and common ideas. Um, but wasn't, So just so you understand, the way that we think is, we think about, especially when we talk about creation, we think about material. What is something made up of? So what makes this pew what it is? What makes this carpet what it is? Carpet what it is? What makes us what we are? We know about elements. We know about the periodic table. We know about atoms, we know about protons, electrons, neutrons that make um, molecules, atoms that make molecules. We know about all of that. So we are a material-based world. When we say, well, when something's created, what is it made of? But that's not the way the ancient Near Eastern people thought. They just did not have any sense of that. Not because they didn't know that things were made out of stuff. I mean, they could have seen that different Objects are made out of different materials. That's just not the question they asked. Remember, we think about science. We have something called the Enlightenment. All right? Now you have to think back to high school, high school history. All right, these things shape us more than we realize. Now, ancient Near Eastern people, when they thought about creation and what made something exist, it wasn't material. It was function. All right, so something exists if it has a function and a purpose. So something doesn't exist until it has a purpose. That's the way they thought. So with that in mind, this is the way you read Genesis 1 and 2 
in all of really Genesis 1 through 11, but specifically Genesis 1. So with function in mind, quickly, let's look at the days, because I think most people probably remember. The first thing to notice, though, in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Now you see right here, God is G-O-D, capital G. All right? So first thing to know about this story, now that word in Hebrew is Elohim. Elohim is the, the generic word for God, and it's actually plural, which is simply they, they used it in the plural way, but it was meant to be singular here. But that's what the word is. That's going to be important when we look at chapter 2. But Elohim is the word. So when God, Elohim, made the world, he said, let there be light, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. That's day one of creation. What's interesting, if we're thinking about material, there's no sun yet to make light. So when we actually look at this from a scientific point of view, it doesn't make any sense. But remember, it's about function. So this first function is God takes this, this is what it describes the earth in verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the water. So it was empty and void. It had no purpose. But God takes this place and he gives it day and night. He gives it time. So this first function is that this empty planet, this, this formless thing is given time, day and night. And we'll see that day and night and time comes very important as God continues to add to this creation. So then day two, he says, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Now, in old days, you might have heard, and let there be a firmament. I can't hardly even say the word. But what that word actually means is like a solid dome. So the ancient people believed that there was a dome over the world that kept water, an ocean, a sea above, off of the people. So that's what it means when it says firmament. So the, the NIV calls it a vault. We don't have language for this. We don't believe this. We know that there's nothing up there but space. But they didn't know that. This is their, the way of seeing the world. So there's this vault. But what that means is that when they see this vault and this firmament, they know that in that God makes, or the weather comes. That there's rains, that there's good weather, there's sun. And the weather is what helps them live. So God puts purpose into the sky because he gives weather. So he's starting to build this habitat, and he's creating a place for creatures to live. Now day three, he makes um, dry ground up here. So before the dry ground, there's only sea. Now what's interesting about ancient Near Eastern people, they believed that the sea was a place of darkness and chaos. Because they didn't know what was down there. Think about it. Think about how dangerous sea travel can be today. Now imagine 4,000, 6,000 years ago, whenever you don't have modern technology, you don't have steel boats, you don't have modern weather, ways to measure weather and be prepared. The sea was a place of scary danger. And there's all these stories about sea monsters that we still have today. It was a place of mystery. So sea was not good. But God brings out of the sea dry land. He gives purpose to this planet because all of a sudden there's dry land for people to live on and for this place to be fruitful. And on that dry land on day three, he makes um, vegetation grow. 
So in these first three days, we see that God is taking this void and purposeless place, and he's giving it purpose. He's making a place for people to live and a place to inhabit the world. This is the way that the ancient Near Eastern people would have thought, that God gave purpose to the world. Now, there's lots of things about this story that are different than other stories, but we're not even going to talk about those because this alone will change the way we see this passage. Now, day three, God goes, and what he does is he puts in the firmament, he puts um, celestial bodies or stars, moons, planets. He puts the sun and the moon, but he calls them the lesser and the greater light. So in the firmament, in the sky, we now have the sun and the moon. So these help measure time, day and night. And then they also helped measure seasons. Now seasons for them would have been festival seasons. So now the sky is this purpose where they can measure their lives. And then day five comes along. And on day five, God puts into the sky birds of the sky. And on day five, he puts into the sea creatures of the deep. Every living thing from the water that teems and that moves about in it according to their kind, God made. So all those monsters in the deep that were scary to people were under God's control. And God puts into the sky things to use it, birds to use the sky, animals to use the sea. He's giving purpose to these things, and he's putting things there to use the purpose. He's giving creatures. Now day six, he goes to the dry land, and he makes animals. He gives beasts and beasts of the ground. I mean, there's lots of things it says in there. Cattle, wild beasts. And he says, he says this about both the sea creatures, the air creatures, and the land creatures. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Because your purpose is to fill the earth and to use the habitats that I've made for you. These multi-environments. And there's a word for it I can't even remember that I wish I could. Ecosystems, these ecosystems that have been made for these creatures. Think about the different ecosystems all around the world. And God puts animals here to use those ecosystems and to bring purpose to this purposeless planet. And then he does the, the, um, the focus of his creation. He makes humans, and we're told that these humans are made in the image of God. No other creature is made in the image of God. And he says, because you're made in the image of God, you have the ability to rule over creation. So he makes humans and he puts them in creation and he says, take and rule over this. And he says again, be fruitful and multiply. And then on the last day, what we hear is day seven, that God rests. Now, has anyone ever thought that it's weird that God rests? And when we actually think about it, so God is all-powerful, and he created by speaking. But he rests. We're so used to it, we don't think about it. What does this mean, though? God rests. Now, in the ancient Near East, the, where the culture of the story comes from, they hear the God rests, and they automatically think, oh, this is a text about someone building a temple. Because in the ancient Near East, the last thing that happened when a temple is built is that the God rests in the temple. Now remember, temples were places where gods lived. So you build a temple and you hope that God comes to live there amongst your people. Now, what does this say about creation? 
Creation is God's temple. And he comes to rest and dwell and be present in creation. Now the other thing about when you build a temple is the last thing you put in the temple is the image. Or as we would know it, the idol. The idol that represents the God. So what is the last thing that was put in creation? Humans, right? We are God's image in creation. Now we've already heard that. But as a temple, that means that we represent God in the temple. God works through us in the temple. And this is his temple. This entire world that he made for us. Because humans are the center of God's good creation. Now about this, God says that this was good. He says it multiple times. And the very last thing he says is he says it is very good. Or in Hebrew, tov me'od. Tov is good. Very good. Now when we think about good, we think about moral things. I'm a good person. I follow the law. I follow... Um, I'm nice to people, I'm nice to my spouse, I follow the rules at school. But good did not mean that, at least not in this context. What good meant was ordered, purposeful, intentional. Because remember, the chaos was what existed at first. And God took that chaos and he made it good where he gave it purpose. So Genesis 1 is a text about God giving purpose to the world and he putting his image in the world to represent him. And he said that this is good. Now that's going to become a very important theme throughout this entire story. That God made the world with good purpose. He made it with purpose. And he made it good. And he put us into this creation to be his representatives because humans are the center of God's story. But what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God or how do we let's see that function? Well, chapter 2 really shows us how that functions. So first in chapter 2, the first thing I want us to see is let's look at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Remember, chapter 1 was God. Elohim. Now we have Lord God. Now that word Lord, anytime you see this in the Old Testament, you see capital L with the lower caps, L-O-R-D. That is actually um, the way that um, the ancient Israelite people would have said is Adonai Elohim. Now, Adonai is the Hebrew word for Lord, but the word that's actually there in Hebrew is not Lord. It is Yahweh. The name that God gave Moses whenever Moses said, what is your name when I go to tell your people that you're rescuing him? And God says, my name is I Am, which we don't actually know how it was even spelled. The Hebrew people were so careful about not saying this word or taking it in vain that we don't actually know how to say it. We don't know for sure what the right pronunciation of it is. Now, we think it's Elohim, but we're not sure. Because they took the vowels from one word, from Adonai, and put it on Elohim, on the consonants, so that they wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. So they never said Yahweh. They always said Adonai. So Adonai Elohim created. So now we go from Adonai, 
or from Elohim to Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, who is a personal God who gives his personal name to, to Moses and his people. This God is personal and he wants us to know how he made us. And this is what he says. So in verse chapter, chapter 2, um, we see again that the, the, the earth is depicted as a place without purpose. No shrubs had yet appeared on it. The planet had yet sprung up. There was no rain and, uh, to work the ground, but streams came up out of the earth. That's another idea of this deep, dark water. So there's no purpose on the earth. But then God makes man from the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And then God takes this man and he makes a garden for the man. And he puts the man in the garden. So now we see that God takes this formless place and he makes a garden and he puts the man into it. So he gives the earth purpose. He makes it for the man to live in. The gar- so this is, this is monumental. The earth exists for us. All right? Now that doesn't mean that we can use it any way we want. It just means that it exists for us. And now if we don't use it well, we might eventually make ourselves so sick that we can't live here anymore. But it was for us to use well. And God put humans in this earth and he said, take it and use it. So we skip down and he said, put them, put them in the garden and he said to work it and care for it. So farmers, you are about as close to Adam as you can get. Taking the earth and using it to make something beautiful and fruitful. But I think about the kind of stuff my uncle does, who does landscaping. And I've told him this before. He takes something, sometimes he, we show up at a job and it looks bad. And he takes this earth these plants, and he makes it into something beautiful, a place where people want to be. Or I, in my, so my brother-in-law is an architect. I've told him this before too. I said, Tyler, you have the opportunity to take these cities and make them something beautiful and using the materials God has given us in the world to make something beautiful that reflects God's likeness. That's all about being made in the image of God and taking care of the earth. So that's what God put Adam in there for. Now God sees Adam and he says, okay, well, you need a companion. So first he brings these animals and he says, maybe these animals can be near a companion. And so Adam names the animals because he's acting as God. On God's behalf, he names the animals. Naming is a sense of ownership in the ancient Near East. But none of the animals are suitable. But that tells us something about animals. Animals are our companions. Yes, they're given to us to be used, but to be used well. There's ways we cannot use animals well. And I think there's ways that's happening today. And sometimes we don't even know about it. Sometimes we ignore it because it's easier. But animals were given to us. They have life. They're valuable. And they're supposed to be used responsibly. And then because the animals were not suitable, God says, okay, well, I'm going to give you a person from your very side. So, you know, he puts the man to sleep and he takes a rib out and he makes... Another human, and he says, and Adam says, this is my perfect companion, woman, from me. So this, from the side, that's an image of equality. So Adam and Eve were put in the garden as equals to care for the garden together in perfect harmony with creation. They were equals. They worked together. Man was made first, but they both bear the image of God. 
And without man, or without woman, man was incomplete, according to the way we look at this. Now, there's two things about this. First, so remember, man and woman were told to be fruitful and multiply. So there's a very clear function about this. You can only be fruitful and multiply within the, the male-female reality of the world. So that tells us something about gender and sexuality in the goodness of what God made with order. All right, you don't ever hear this conversation when we talk about things around gender. That there was an order and a function to this, a very practical function. But I think that humans can have companionship with fellow humans of the same gender. Because, yes, Adam and Eve were the perfect companion and they were able to fulfill the function of multiplying in the earth. But the connection and the relationship can be shared between anyone. Because it wasn't just the function of filling the earth. So there's a place for friendship and romantic love. Friendship, love, romantic love. Both of these images are here. Fellow humans, but also the really important companionship of male and female in the world. So this is the position that God, this is where he puts humans. And he says to fill the earth and multiply it. And then that's where Genesis 2 ends. Adam and, Eve, Adam and his wife are naked without shame in the garden. And they are in perfect harmony with creation and with God and with one another. There's no breakdown in their relationship. There's no breakdown between God and them. There's no breakdown between creation, the garden, and them. They're in perfect harmony. And remember, humans are the center of God's good creation. So this is the beginning of the story. It's important for us to see that God took something from chaos and he gave it order and purpose. Something that was completely out of control and he controlled it. He gave it purpose. He gave it an identity. And then he put us into this creation, made it for us and said, I want you to represent me in this creation. That's important. That's our identity. When we do that, we are worshiping God and we are living in the tov me'ov. Me'od. The very goodness that God made us to live. There's this harmony throughout the story. There's good relationships between God and animals and, and the ground and the earth and other humans. Everything is good. Everything is in harmony. Everything has purpose. Everything is without chaos. And we're placed in the middle as God's representatives to represent him so he can work through us. So this is the beginning of the story, and God said it is very good. But we know the story doesn't stay there. But it's important for us to know where the story starts. All right, so I didn't say anything about science or any of that. You can think what you want to think about science. I'm telling you, this is the way that the ancient Near Eastern people saw this story. And if we're going to enter their world and, and hear what God told them and what he's telling us, this is the way we have to enter the world. But you can be where you're going to be on science. I'm not going to say anything about it. If you really want to know what I think, you can ask me. But only if you really want to know. I'm not going to tell you what to think. But this is the way that I read Genesis 1 and 2. And humans are the center of God's good 
creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We think about the beginning and we think about what you've given us to do. You've taken something without purpose and you've given it purpose and you placed us in the middle of it and you made it for us and you said, you're going to be my representative. I'm going to empower you to make this place a beautiful place. You're going to create as I've created. You're going to have an imagination and you're going to have relationships and you're going to develop art and music and culture. And you're going to enjoy things in life beyond just surviving. And you're going to know me because this is my character I placed into you as my representative. And Lord, that still is in us today, even though there might be things about it that get twisted and turn us away from you and your goodness and in, in the good you made for us. But as we look at this story, may we be able to enter into your very good intention for creation. And we ask this all in your son's name. He lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.